Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I meet so many guests from all walks of life in all different spaces, personal contacts, friends of friends, conferences, social media. And it's amazing, actually, how many people I meet through social media. And my next guest, Marty Tesfai, is one of those people. Her Instagram account led me to her website, aptly titled The Black Expat Family, which chronicled her family's move from the U.S. to live in Ethiopia. And like so many of my recent guests, Marty, a former attorney turned nonprofit executive who, with her husband, made this decision, they did it during the pandemic. And given her ability to vibrantly capture her family's journey, as well as a few others, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into her backstory. So in this episode, Marty shares her story of growing up in the 80s and 90s in the New York City metro area as she navigated both her East African and American identities. We definitely bonded over how it wasn't always cool to have an African identity as a kid back in the day and how things have thankfully changed. She also discusses the pivotal societal moments that encouraged her and her husband to leave their successful professional life for the country where their immediate families had emigrated from decades before. And we dissect the ways her own move mirrors and differs from what her family experienced going West. Clearly, her story is in progress, but there's so much to glean from what she's experienced thus far. Welcome to the Global Chatter.
right. So we're back with the latest episode of The Global Chatter. And if you listen to the episode to get all the way at least to this point, which is about two minutes into the podcast, you know that Marty is my guest today. And so, Marty, I'm going to say good afternoon to you, knowing good and well that it's morning where I'm at. (laughs) Good morning to you, Amanda. How are you? You know, I... I think anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I record at all kinds of hours. And so (laughs) and so I'm doing well because the day has started. But I'm really curious. And I I want you to let everyone else know where in the world you are. Yeah, I am in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, sitting in a lobby of a hotel because the meeting room, which I had hoped would be available and was told would be available is not so if you hear like any sort of chatter and so on in the background I have my headpiece on and everything but you know things happen so please bear with me one thing I've learned and I was telling you off air is that working you know working and and creating a podcast is that you always are used to all kinds of things happening when people are across the world so we're just happy that you're here today Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's get started. And obviously, we're going to get to what led you to Ethiopia, because part of, I think, what listeners like to hear is how did people get to where they were? And so let's start a little bit with your early story. Where'd you grow up? I was born and raised in Queens, New York uh, in the late 80s. Okay, so Queens, I would imagine, and I've had a lot of New Yorkers on here, (laughs) interestingly enough, I would imagine a pretty diverse community. Yes, uh, very diverse. I lived in Lefrak City, Queens for the first part of my life, and uh, my family immigrated from Ethiopia to Queens before I was born. Um, So I was born there. And then our community was, I would say, fairly diverse, although for the most part, it was lower income, uh, black community, left rack city, Queens was. And Mm -hmm. then my mother worked in the United Nations. Um, She was a secretary at the time. So uh, that community was certainly diverse. So I I got exposed to that, um, that world fairly early on, multiple languages, like just a melting pot of different cultures, religions and backgrounds. So yeah, a little bit of both. Super cool. And, and it's funny, you know, I always talk to people off air, so the listeners wouldn't know this, but even listening to you talk about that, my family came from Cameroon and they moved to the D.C. area. So, you know, <laughs> so I, right. And I'm and I yeah. And I'm thinking you being part of the Ethiopian diaspora, even though now you're in Ethiopia, uh, <laughs> that, yeah. you know, strong African presence in kind of that you know, the DMV, right? That DC, Maryland, Virginia kind of communities. And so I'm curious, especially, you know, with your, with your family being and your parents being, you know, the immigrants, did you grow up in a, in a diasporic community? Did you grow up within, you know, a community of Ethiopian immigrants? I sure did. Yep. Yep. I did. And like, we used to give each other, t- or I should say our parents used to give each other tips on like the new lady who's making the injera, which is like uh, the right. bread that we eat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, like I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like driving to Harlem to like pick up our injera from our specific injera lady because there was nobody, New York wasn't a huge 
there wasn't a big Ethiopian community or presence um, in New York City at the time when I was growing up. And so, yeah, you had to be really stealthy about those like <laughs> places mm-hmm. where you could get authentic food. And so I'm curious, and I and it's interesting, I think, to look back as an adult, right? Because I'm fascinated by just the immigrant story, right? So mm-hmm. I'm asking you to do something, which is always a little bit weird, but I, I'm wondering your perspective anyway. What do you think it was? What do you think the experience was like for your for your family, right? Because Ethiopia is very different from the U.S. I mean, just from a basic like weather, culture, all of that. Did you ever see or did your parents ever talk about, you know, what it was like to make the transition or even communicate, even if it wasn't explicitly a conversation, what it was like to go from living in Ethiopia to the States? Let me answer your question in two ways. I guess the first time that I started having those thoughts of like, wow, they were immigrants in a fairly complicated country and system was when I moved abroad with my kids. Um, And although we're Ethiopian or of Ethiopian descent, um, it was still an, it's it's still a new world that we're navigating and, you know, new set of cultures and customs. You never quite know what little things are going to piss off uh, the post office person or so on, you know? And so that is the first time I started asking myself, I wonder how my parents must have felt in Queens in the 1980s when, when they were navigating life. Um, and they never explicitly communicated, you know, this is difficult or so on. But I do remember often hearing one thing that sticks out to me and it's, it's because of our cult. It's because of our accent that we're being treated differently. And I remember hearing that. So, like my my accent is the reason why I'm not, you know, being given a, a, a respectable treatment in this place of establishment. And I was just like, I just remember being like, "What do you mean? That's not true." Until I moved here. Okay, so one of the things that I am very curious to hear from you, you know, is. Obviously, having parents who immigrated to the U.S. Um, as an adult now, I'm I'm going to ask you to sort of look back. Did you ever feel or hear your parents kind of convey their own? And I don't always want to say they're necessarily challenges, but there could have been challenges in terms of their own immigrant experience or what the immigrant experience was for them moving from a country like Ethiopia to the U.S. where both of them are so different from each other? Yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is they, I don't ever really remember them expressing it explicitly, expressing their um, challenges explicitly to me, aside from um, the acts. Like, I always remember my mom especially saying, you know, it's it's because we have an accent that, you know, it's because I have an accent that I'm being mistreated or, um, you know, I'm not experiencing the same level of care or the same standard of care that I would be um, if I were to sound American. Um, so I, I definitely remember that. And then I think, you know, I didn't give this question much thought in my own life until I myself had an immigrant experience. And of course, ours is very different from my parents uh, being, you know, we are of Ethiopian descent, um, but, but living in Ethiopia uh, for the past, you know, year and a half um, after my husband, my children and I moved, I have definitely experienced, um, you know, 
the, the accent thing that my mom spoke about so often, um, you know, I do try a little bit extra hard to make sure that I'm pronouncing certain words correctly so that I'm not, you know, viewed as a foreigner. And it, it might be a different, um, we might be treated differently because we have an American accent, actually. Whereas in America, my mom was thinking that, you know, she was being discriminated against because of her accent. But still, nonetheless, it's a different treatment than you know, how the normal average person is treated. And that, I think, was triggering for for my family. I started saying this, I guess, with other individuals whose parents, you know, immigrated, especially from cultures that are very, you know, different from to the ones that they moved into, that there's a certain sense of bravery. (laughs) I don't think we always realize, especially as the kids of of these folks, right? Because, and I want to dive into this with you. I think when you're first gen kid, a lot of times it's more of a, you know, kids, we want to blend in, right? And then we have parents who are just seems so different <laughs> like right it's this, now that we're adults we can admit this uh we have parents that seem so different right and it's and it's like oh like and i'm just thinking about being a kid where other kids maybe their parents would make you know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch and uh that's not culturally where, where my parents came from it was always something very west african and and the things that accompany you know the various foods and so you want to blend in but I think now as an adult, I realize a little bit more how how hard it could have been, even if they didn't explicitly say that. And so, I, you know, I started saying, yeah, they're kind of brave. You know, they are. They yeah. are. Right. Yeah. It's just extremely brave. I mean, the U.S. is it's, it's the I don't know, the dream place for so many people. And my, my parents, you know, used to share that growing up. Um, People would say, you know, I just, I just want to make it to America. I just want to get there, um, and then my life will be drastically different, or I, you know, I will make it by any stretch or whatever. Um, and so, for for them to get to the U.S. and realize that, you know, some of those dreams, you know, were kind of fictional or like they were just dreams yeah. and just that, you know. Um, I think that that is uh, that is the story of some immigrants in in my case and for my parents i mean they 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 grinded like i i admire yeah. them so much and i was up to them because they they grinded until they made that dream their reality um and you know for every immigrant that has that story i just hats off so much props so much respect so much admiration and so i want to kind of flip it then to sort of your perspective especially as a kid as a teenager so like of course now we are we're in the 2020s, right? But, Are we? Back, <laughs> back, right but back in the day, <laughs> and I, <laughs> and, I, and I, I'm very curious to get your take on this, but we're talking about the 80s and the 90s, right? I think that right now we see an amazing resurgence in terms of looking towards Africa as a continent, as a place of potential, as coolness, especially for folks in the diaspora and beyond. But what was your experience growing up as an Ethiopian American kid? Now, yes, born in the U.S., but (laughs) I'm sure when you went home, the doors were very Ethiopian (laughs) once you crossed the door. So what was your experience kind of growing up um, with those identities? Yeah, um, very complex, very multi-layered, I would say. Um, and it was not 
cool to be African. I mean, I am so jealous of the kids growing right? up in this generation. Like, <laughs> because it was not cool back in the day. I remember it was not cool. You've got boy and you've got Wizkid and you've got right. all these really cool African art tens and you've got, I mean, like you've got all and you've got Beyonce and Drake and everyone else doing songs with them, right? So like doing a whole audio like because right? <laughs> I can tell you back in the day, boy, it wasn't cool at all. It was not cool. And I am so um, I guess I've come to terms with this, so I can't be embarrassed to admit, but like I used to pretend to be Dominican. Like when I went to school, like I used to <laughs> Here's what I suspect. A, you lived in New York. B, let's be honest, geography isn't always the strongest American suit. So I assume at least one person saw you on the street and just assumed you were you were not Ethiopian because that wasn't even in the forefront, right? I assume they just assumed you were Latin of some persuasion, right? <laughs> Yeah, they thought I was after Latina, and I was like, "Yeah, I, you know what? <laughs> like that's that's the cool thing to be. Like, there's definitely reggaeton on the radio, right? Like, oh my gosh! So I so I used to go to this Dominican hair salon because New York, like Dominicans, yeah. were the, Dominicans are. I think so. I mean, I haven't like I haven't been in New York for a while and gotten my hair done there, but like Dominican hair salons reigned, and so. I remember going to these salons and just loving the culture, like loving the music, loving the energy, loving the vibe. It still felt like an immigrant community, albeit not my community. Yeah. And so I was like, I could totally fit in here. Like, let me just learn the language real casually. And so I learned Spanish. I mean, <laughs> I, I wasn't great at it, but like I learned right. enough to, to kind of fit in. And then at school, it was just very easy to just pretend to be something else because being African in the 1990s, like nobody knew what that was. And there were so many like mean kind of jokes and phrases that people used about African kids. And I was like, not, not today, Satan. Mm -mm, I'm not going to be, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, you're so right. And I, you know, I got away from some of it when I was about 10, because we actually moved to the continent at that point for me. But up until that point, you are correct. It is, it was not cool. And I'm not even saying, and here's the thing. If it's not cool right now, it's not nearly, I would say, as bad as it was before, right? And I think because of social media, and to your point, music, right? I think because of media in general, and we are seeing more and more actors and actresses as well coming of African descent on big, like on big stages. So you look at like Idris Elba, right? Or you look at Lapita, right? And you start to see more visibility, I think across all shades and, and landscapes and whatever. But yeah, you're right. Like if you had had that experience, (laughs) <laughs> and it, and I feel like you would get I don't I don't know what it was I felt especially for me and I mean, I've said this before I got it particularly from the black kids right um yeah. and I, I had a conversation with someone the other day and I thought you know it's so sad because so many of the narratives that we learn about especially black countries are so one-sided and so incorrect that oh, 
right? That then I think you meet folks who have those identities and you're regurgitating those harmful stereotypes that you you don't even have a point of reference to be like, that's not right. That's just what's always <laughs> said, right? No, because I, I would imagine, okay, your family's Ethiopian, right? And I've had this right. conversation with other folks. I don't know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is just me imagining based on other things. What do people typically associate with, or if you can even remember as a kid or even now as an adult, when they think about Ethiopia? Uh, poverty, hunger, yeah. poverty, Fam- famine, cattle, famine, yeah, cattle, right. you know, like just not sexy things, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. We are the world. I'm, I'm going back in the eighties, right? Like that yeah. whole, that yeah. whole, <laughs> that whole <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> right yeah but nobody's thinking about the beauty the culture the different tribes right the landscape like there's there's never those positive associations and then of course as adults we pass that down to children and then I think if you're a child of those of those communities you get to be the recipient of some really bad stereotypes okay so I mean I think it's really interesting to think about what you were saying earlier about sort of trying to pass yourself off as, as Dominican. Um, and I can't say that I blame you. It's actually really funny to think about it now, but I'm sure in the moment it was a very intentional decision on your part, obviously um, <laughs> given what sometimes, you know, sometimes I, I mean, I, we've all been ki- Here's the thing. None of us should be judged by some of the things we do as kids, as teenagers to sort of survive and to assimilate because I think that's just part of childhood, but I'm, I'm, I want to know at what point or at, did you start to feel a little bit more comfortable in your Ethiopian identity and, and what do you think was sort of the leading cause yeah, of that? I mean, I think, um, it was probably when I went to Ethiopia for the first time when I was 11 years old and that was just a game changer for me. I finally got to see the culture as what it, the culture, the country, the people, as what they actually are in real life form and not in the version that, you know, the U.S. kind of sold to me, if that makes sense. So in the U.S. Mm-hmm. version, as we were talking yeah. about earlier, it was very, we are the world and famine and poverty and, you know, like South Park jokes about being Ethiopian. And none of that was attractive. And like, I, you know, when you think about it, I grew up, I grew up in, in, in New York. Like I, I, the only nexus to Ethiopia for me until I actually went and visited were my parents. Right. And so, and we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about this at some point later, but it was one of the founding decisions of why my husband and I wanted to move back to Ethiopia and bring our young kids here so that they have a nexus to Ethiopia that is not based upon now and even further removed you know, our grandparents' uh, stories, because my stories, my parents' stories of growing up were in Addis Ababa and Ethiopia and school and, you know, boarding school and so on. And they have like very authentic, real experiences that were Ethiopian. Like mine would have been, you know, growing up in Queens, New York, and my husband's growing up in Massachusetts. (laughs) Like it's it's just, you know, so (laughs) anyway, uh, back to your question, I think it was really the, the, the trip to Ethiopia when I was 11 I made friends I had such a good time like I played outside and in New York City you don't really get to play outside unless you're at a park and here it was just uh, it was just such a different experience and it, it caused me to fall in love with 
who I am and, and where I come from. What you said is very reflective of a number of people that once they get to go back to sort of the ancestral home, especially as kids, there is they it's like everyone says the same thing. What I thought it was, what I got made fun of, what media portrayed it to be is not the complete story to then when they actually. Right. And it's usually just that what you've said, especially as kids, kind of that. There are these fun memories, right? It's not all, you know, perfect, but it, it the, it's better yeah. <laughs> than maybe what you're old. And, you know, and just to add another layer. So your your husband, is he also of Ethiopian yeah, descent? Yeah, he's also of Ethiopian descent, similarly born and raised um, in the States. Gotcha. And so I, I assume then both of you, that, and, and I mean, you just obviously alluded to it with your children and whatnot, probably sort of that similar trajectory of kind of that connection in terms of <laughs> this is one identity I, I hold, but here are these other identities <laughs> that are part of my life and, and, and sort of seeing how they intersect. And so what was, what was sort of driving both of you to think about coming back or and it's not weird to say coming back. <laughs> and I even <laughs> struggle with that sometimes with myself, because like you said, you were both born in the U S so what what was the driving force for you both to consider living in Ethiopia? For both of us, we wanted our our kids. First of all, uh, you know, the time when we made this decision was at the height of um, you know, the George Floyd um, kind of lashback and mm. Black Lives Matter and Donald Trump being in office, and it was it was mm-hmm. really and and COVID, right? Like just isolation of COVID right. and parenting three little kids during this time. And it was utterly exhausting. It was emotionally taxing. Um, it was physically taxing. Uh, we had three little kids under the age of five at the time. And um, I just, I, earlier on, like when we got married, we did talk a lot about living abroad. Um, but Ethiopia wasn't necessarily the place that we, we just wanted to have a, a, an experience of, of being expats and, learning another culture so on um and then we talked about it some more we would have these like ideation sessions of like what do we want like what kind of life do we want to offer our kids and so on and for us identity was just such a fleeting um notion right like where do we belong Mm -hmm. where we are first generation ethiopians uh but you know, we don't, and we know like the old school music that our parents used to listen to, but we're not up on the culture. I have no idea. Oh gosh, sorry. It's like honking in the back. <laughs> um, it's all good. Uh, it's all good. But, um, you know, we, so who are the musicians, the actors, the pop culture, what are, you know, the politicians even, um, of, in Ethiopia that we connect with. And that's, we were like, no one. I mean, I just, there were the old school kind of legends that our family listened to and that we, you know, picked up from car rides and so on. But both of us were very much like, we don't have, like, we're not tied to the culture in that way. And we want to make sure that we don't lose it completely. Right. Like we want to make sure that our kids and even us, like we're introduced to our culture, um, us as adults and them as, as kids. And so, those were the thoughts that were going on in our head. And then I, and then, you know, the other thing that is kind of sombering, but um, I guess is worth mentioning is I had a daughter first and I just remember praying that I, I don't have a black boy um, in the U S 
because it's really, really heartbreaking to see how Black boys are treated in the U.S. from such an early age. And I, I worked in education um, for a long time. And um, I was just like, please, like, so I found out I was pregnant with the second one. And I was like, dear God, please make it a girl. Please make it a girl. Please make it a girl. And it was a boy. And I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Please. So, and then I, na- you know, I named him after my husband. And I was like, because my husband is, he doesn't rock the boat. Like he's a very chill person. Um, he's like universally liked. And I was like, if he's just like his dad and he doesn't rock the boat and he doesn't start trouble and he's not rebellious he's nothing like me and he's more like his dad like maybe mm-hmm. maybe then he'll be safe here and he was just like me he even looks like me he acts like he's like rambunctious and <laughs> like energetic and I was like oh god like, this, isn't, this isn't gonna work out well in this country like I, I just you know I don't know and I remember just like us trying to decide what neighborhood to to get a home in and not because of finances alone um but because of you know, we'd look at schools and like the great school ranking of, you know, 10 or nine or whatever. Um, that would be schools that are 90% white population or white and Asian population. And, and we were like, what is that? Like, is that going to be good for them? Is that going to be good for, for the kids? Not, not just in terms of academics, but like, you know, how are they going to feel? Are they going to be accepted? Are they going to be discriminated against? And so all those thoughts, um, and then, you know, my son started school fairly early on. Um, he was like two and a half or something when he started school. And I just remember getting constant calls and like write-ups of like, he hit a kid or he bit a kid, which is what like two-year-olds do, right? Like they throw tantrums and they throw and they hit and they bite. Um, and just like every time I would see a call from my kid's school and see an email coming through, like just the sinking feeling while at work, like, oh God, what happened today? Uh, like, is he going to have something in his record that is going to, mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't, I can't do that. Like, there's got to be something else. There's got to be another way. And, um, you know, so when we had the opportunity uh, to move, we were like, yes, check. Let's take it. Let's see what happens. So that's, that's kind of the long end of it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? 
outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Oh, that 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 is not the culture you're hoping for. No, long deep. If you're joining us, you're you're hearing you're hearing Addis in real time. I love it. I it doesn't bother me. I think that I think we all, like I said, we all live in the real world, right? And it's not perfectly quiet or sanitized, so. I, I like I like the background noise, <laughs> and it's and it's backing up your story. It's backing up your story that you really do live in Ethiopia because we. <laughs> so I could so, be in New York City, you know. You know, you know what? And I have I have had conversations with folks, and I'm thinking, are you in JFK or what's going on? So, um, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I'm in JFK. I was like, I could tell you're in the airport, but. With with that being said, I what was your family's reaction to you and your husband deciding to move and return? And I keep saying return because you never lived there really, but moving your family to Ethiopia. What were their how did they take the news? I think timing um and framing framing this announcement with the time that everybody was in, or at least our family my family and his family were in um, when we announced that we were going to move is very critical because I think had it been pre-COVID, pre-Donald Trump, pre-George Floyd, pre-you know insurgence of violence against Black bodies and just this exhausting era that our country was in, I mean, I think that um, it would have been what? what are you talking about? You know, we came all Uh the way here so that you could have a more privileged life and you guys are about to move back. But I think in light of everything that was happening, I think there was a, wow. Okay. That, wow. Well, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be better. Um, So I think that that is the, that was the initial reaction at least until people could wrap their minds around it. Um, Mm -hmm. That was the initial reaction. And so, you know, I, I, this is this is always intriguing to me when someone makes a move back or or goes to kind of an ancestral home. You know, we talked about your parents and and kind of a little bit about their move, but what was it like for you, who has an Ethiopian identity and your husband has an Ethiopian identity, and now clear, of course, you have these children. What was it like? moving to Addis with that? What were your experiences? Yeah, I think the best, um, have you ever watched the movie Selena? It's been a very long time. 
<laughs> there was a scene in it where um, Abraham Quintanilla, the the fa- Selena's father, who's Texan or American Mexican, Mexican American, it says, um, you know, he's like really frustrated at this particular moment, um, and he's like, "I'm not Mexican enough for the Mexicans. I'm not American enough for the Americans. It is exhausting." And I was like, "Yeah, like I really feel that. I really feel that um, in in Ethiopia, right? I really felt that when I first moved. I think." We have, uh, in a year and a half's time, really understood, you know, kind of some of the bigger general do's and don'ts, and we're, we're learning to assimilate and fit in. But um, mm-hmm. it's interesting that it's like you, you, you're using the phrasing move back because, yes, we are very much Ethiopian by descent, by culture. Like our families spoke the language at home. So it's not a completely foreign country. We did have some uh, relatives and family friends here who've been very generous and helped us when we were like brand new but it was also like very very daunting like I don't read and write the language my husband doesn't read and write either um we are still you know like very much learning what the norms are and so going to a government office and trying to handle a very simple thing like there there's a whole way of operating and we Mm -hmm. were we were very much you know immigrants in that in that respect in many ways, I mean, you're <laughs> it's always weird to talk about this in this way. You are having the expat experience. Right. And I think <laughs> we sometimes assume because folks look like the local population or they have some kind of cultural ties to it. Uh, and this is the general population, not you. But, you know, we assume that, oh, you might have a little bit of an easier time. And of course, having friends and contacts does make things a little bit easier, but that doesn't mean that's always the case, right? And you can actually extrapolate that to any country. Like, I think if you moved to Korea today, if you had a friend who was Korean, that would make things easier, but you still wouldn't speak Korean and you don't read (laughs) Korean and you're still, you know, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, I I think there could be an assumption that, oh yeah, her family's Ethiopian. Yeah. This shouldn't be that hard. (laughs) Yeah, until like, you know, you're walking in... So this happened to us, actually. We were walking in the uh, Mascal parade. There's like, um, Mascal is, is a religious holiday here in Ethiopia. A lot of people uh-huh. celebrate it. And, um, you know, so we were, I was very eager. And, you know, the kids were wearing their Ethiopian clothes. We had a, a couple family friends with us. Um, we had the baby in her stroller, which I was like, finally a place where you can fit in um and so i'm like (laughs) proudly walking in this parade wearing my cultural clothes like speaking the language thinking like we totally fit in until i hear this guy whisper oh they're they're the americans look at them diaspora diaspora and like he's telling the, the the guy next to him that and i was just like at first i was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let that get to me and it didn't really get to me but i was like how did he no like how did he know because you know if, if we if i was dressed in like you know american clothes or whatever like maybe he could catch from the style or something but here i am like dressed in, so i try i walked back took back a couple of steps and i was like hello my brother how did you know i, I just i just want to know how did you know and he and so he motions to my babies up a vista stroller and he's like no children go around in a cadillac like that and I'm just like, <laughs> No, that's actually really funny. (laughs) I mean, all things considered, there are a lot of things you probably could have said, but that's actually really funny. I mean, but do you know what, though? I think this brings to a bigger point. 
and I'm I'm gonna connect this to talking about you, your younger self, right? And you know how I was saying that when, especially as children of immigrants and and being first gen, we want to assimilate and be part of the greater culture, right? Like that's what our thing is. I think what's really funny is that when we're older and we get into these places that are part of our our our, our heritage, right? I think that's when we also realize how American we are. And I'm putting American yeah. specifically because you are American, right? Because you, <laughs> in the U.S., right, you probably at some point or multiple times probably felt like an other, even though you're an American, right? Other hyphen American, right? So insert whatever that other is, right? Not what America, not what someone typically assumes is an American. But then you go to somewhere else where you're like, okay, I look like these people. <laughs> I fit in. Right. I've got all this stuff. And then you're like, they're like, no. <laughs> I mean, you no. are. <laughs> you are, but you're not. And then that's when you realize, oh, crap, maybe I am American. <laughs> like, darn it, I guess I am. So I, right. Like the first time that I really felt like I was, like, cheering on being American. So my, my kids uh, go to this international school and, yeah. like, they have international day. and Of course. Um, you know, the, you know all the all the different countries that are represented there and like all the flags are coming out and so on um and uh when the american flag came out like all the americans were cheering and we were you know i'm rambunctious and i'm like Woo! and i'm like cheering and screaming and all that and the guy that was standing next to us first of all i've never done like just to be clear like i've never done that while i was in the u.s right so right part about identities is that they shift and they move and and you are who you are irrespective right but it is really interesting what the perceptions are of you as you start to move in different places and I I mean I've had those experiences as well where you know depending on where I am it's okay you're you're part of this culture and then of course the thing that I think gives us most away is our accents, right? As soon as we say something, <laughs> I'm trying to argue and haggle in the market, right? <laughs> and actually, I'm, I don't care. I'll argue and haggle in the market because I really don't care. But, you know, you may see me approaching. You're like, okay, she's American. And then they want to haggle with me over price. And they start really high and I start really low and then they get really confused. <laughs> and then they're like, why are you, why are you doing this well? And I'm like, cause I grew up in Yaoundé. If you think, I don't know how much them plantains cost you and me, <laughs> we going to be here all day. <laughs> and usually they're really amused by the end. But, and so what were you doing professionally before you left the States and how were you able to sort of transition your career in this new environment? Um, so I am an attorney by training, um, but prior to me leaving, I was the chief of staff to this awesome um, ed nonprofit, early childhood 
literacy nonprofit organization based in the U.S. Um, had um, awesome, awesome, awesome balls. She was just one of the most inspirational women I've ever worked for, Nigerian American. Um, and I was really enjoying my life. I mean, enjoying my career at least, um, despite it being like during COVID, like young kids at home. And, you know, notwithstanding that, like I think it was just uh, one of the best jobs, one of the most satisfying jobs that I ever had. So moving, like moving away from that was difficult. Um, yeah. But I am doing consulting here now, organizational strategy consulting, um, fundraising consulting. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been fine. I've been able to, I've really been able to, to get by doing a consulting business and it's, it's been successful. And I didn't anticipate that it would, you know, really pick up and be running and be this good. Um, so early on. So I'm grateful. That's super cool. And are you, are you working with clients locally or internationally or both? Both. Nice. Yeah, no. And I, you know, kudos to you because I, I think when the, the decision to move one of the big decisions, I mean, obviously should we move our kids if you have kids, but also what does it look like for your career? Right. Because opportunities look very different, right? Moving across the world. And I think one of the most, um, one of the biggest things that I learned being in Addis is, and it's different for different locations, right? But there is a dearth, I mean, a hunger for um, expat, like, you know, American or Europeans, North American, I guess, Canadian, European, et cetera, educated talent like there is a there's a hunger for that um and i'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing i'm just saying that that's something that um i've i've realized here and so your skill set um makes you very attractive to a lot of companies and so for any folks that are thinking about moving abroad or considering it that's one of the things i would advise is to see like where is there kind of a, a language gap or a, a need for um you know need for American or Western skills, I guess. Um, and that can make you very, a, a very attractive uh, candidate. And with your husband, as far as his career, what was he doing before? And was he able to transition it to, to Ethiopia? Or was he doing something different? Yeah, so he, uh, he's actually working for a subsidiary of the company that he was working for um, when he was in the state. So his transition has been really great um he's he's loving you know working on the continent working with the the, the african um team um so it's, it's been really great that's super cool i mean i <laughs> i yeah, that's super cool. The the ability to do that because and and let's be honest, not every field can you do that, but to already be with a company or at least, you know, an affiliate of it and then be able to do it in a place that you want to do it in it's a little bit of the dream for a lot of people, especially when I talk about careers. It's a blessing. It's a, we're super, super grateful, but it's also, I think something that um, attests to the power of positive thinking. Like we just prayed on it and, and envisioned it and imagined it and said, it's going to happen until it happened. Um, So being here is not uh, an accidental thing. Like I think there's, there's a lot of prayer, a lot of hoping, um, and a lot of envisioning before it came to fruition. Yeah. No, and I, I, I'm glad that you say that, and I'm, and I'm glad that there's always a version of that with I think folks who've had similar lived experience is because you, you had, you, you made a decision, but it's not like 
everything immediately falls into place. There's some intentionality, there's purpose to it. There's planning, right? There's preparation. I mean, you're a family of five, right? And so their children, you have to consider what is the impact to them. And so I, I think often, and I've said this before on social media, sometimes it looks like you just hear someone move to a country and it just happened, <laughs> right? But you don't see the 18 months or two years or five years or whatever it took for them to get there. You just sort of see and go, oh, that looks amazing. Look at that sunset. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, because that's that's the story of, of our lives that we play out on social media. Right. Like no one ever posts the the envisioning because, first of all, it's scary to, you know, put out yeah. your, your dreams and your hopes and to potentially not have it happen and be embarrassed in the public sphere. Um, (laughs) It's also just like, you know, kind of keep your, keep your things close to your chest or keep your cards close to your chest. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I rarely go based off of the social media stories anymore. I'm like, yeah, thanks for the highlight reel. Literally. um, I need to talk to you to get the real. (laughs) Right. And, and this is why, and I, I said to the, to you, uh, I said this to you off there. I really enjoy reading your blog, right? So I just got re- introduced to it, I would say a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, but I <laughs> started reading it recently. And I I really love your writing style. And I think that you have a certain authenticity to what, what you're writing about and very realness. And I'm I'm curious, what was the sort of reason behind you starting the blog, right? Like, was it for you? Was it for others? Was it for both? Like, why'd you do it? Yeah, I mean, I think I did it for me circa 2018, 2017. Um, I knew that I wanted, or for for the person like me and where I was in my life, I should say, um, circa 2018, I knew that I wanted an, a broad experience. I didn't quite know how I would do it. It all seemed so insurmountable and so heavy and so challenging. And um, I also write the way I write as much as humanly possible. I try to be relatable to show that it is entirely possible and it is within your it is within your control. Like you can will yeah. that to happen and it's not going to be all peaches and roses either. Like you're going to have challenging moments. Um, you're going to have moments where you doubt yourself or think you're crazy. But I wanted to share my story so that other folks who are considering this move can realize that the world is really big in the U.S. or wherever they may be. It's just one country, um, it, you know, in, in, in the vast space of this universe. And so you can, you can do it if you want to do it. If you're interested in how to do it, I'll just put out, I'll continue to share pieces about how my experience has gone. And then I will direct you to, um, I will direct you to Amanda, um, so that you can listen to other people's experiences, you know, nice plug, nice plug. I, you're, you're a pro here. And I was going to say, okay. I mean, and, and I, so, okay. So your blog is called the black expat family. And what is, really interesting to me i've been doing this for for a minute now is even in this day right there's still not nearly as many stories of black families moving abroad <laughs> number one like in terms of people documenting them i mean we're i mean we're seeing the blogs and we're seeing the youtubes or whatnot but also i think even Black families moving abroad and moving to an African country. 
And and so it is really interesting, I think, looking at the space that you inhabit, because I can still see very much the need. Right. I think there's there's a lot of solo stuff. Right. And I think there's even a lot of partnered stuff, um, depending. There's definitely a lot of uh, at least a lot of black American women expat stories. But what I haven't seen as much is the full on black expat like family story, especially because you guys aren't the ones that I do see. You guys aren't like heavily nomadic, meaning you're not doing six weeks here or two months here or whatever. I I mean, I've definitely seen that. (laughs) Interestingly enough, but I don't see as many. And I think it's probably because y'all with kids are also really busy. (laughs) But like, I I mean, that's just that's also reality, right? But I haven't seen as much as that. And so I feel like you you are still filling a, a very solid lane. And I think the realness of which you talk about being, yes, you are in Ethiopia, right? There are great things about Ethiopia and there are probably some challenges about being in Ethiopia. And I like that you you bring that balance because I think Africa has a way sometimes for some groups of being romanticized. Right. Also like in, in weird, like fetishized kind of ways, right? Right. Like I just yeah. had, like... I just had a conversation about that with someone particularly looking at Ghana, right? Where, Mm -hmm. I I mean, you know, once again, social media, (laughs) right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right. And I think the whole, the whole return to Africa thing, ingenious, great marketing. That was right before COVID, right? It feels like it was last week, but it was, (laughs) but it was like three years ago, whatever. And I, I don't know if you, you probably saw it where like, all these celebrities went to Ghana and there were all these festivals going on and the social media was just out of control, at least in my world, because I track the stuff. Right. And we had a whole conversation. I kept I felt like I kept having to say to people, OK, that's during the holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the average Ghanaian experience. Right. Sure. Yeah, it's the highlight reel again. Right, it's like, it's like, <laughs> no, and it's totally reel. the highlight. It's like the highlight reel on ten, though, because you know, like, you know, like basically like Christmas or any kind of holiday, but particularly the Christmas season, in a lot of African countries is like the thing, right? Oh, yeah. Right. And everybody's back. Right. I don't know if this happened when you were growing up in New York, but, you know, I'm, you know, living in the States that once it gets to December, like these flights coming to Africa are really expensive because yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody's taking like three, four, you know, they're going back for a month and a half. And I'm like, oh, my God. OK, but but I you're right. I think there's this fetishization. And then one of the challenges I've seen is then people up and move to various African countries. And the experience is not what they thought it would be. You're like, yeah, this is nothing like the highlight reel. And you're like, mm. right. And then they get upset. And then I have to see like sort of this negative talk. And I go, well, first of all, <laughs> did <laughs> you, like, I'm like, well, first of all, did you a talk to someone who's currently living there? And did you get their real experience? And, and, and yeah, I, I, Am I glad that Africa is getting the shine as a continent? Sure. But I'm also kind of concerned that I don't I don't think people should just be showing up unprepared. And I've definitely seen that happen, which is why I think what you're doing is important, 
And so I, so I am curious, you know, just from your perspective and you could say yes or no, but have you seen or experienced, you know, folks who kind of in their minds, Ooh, I could move to Ethiopia and and just do it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I've seen a lot of folks reach out and I think, you know, I, um, I think when people reach out for advice, it's very important to be optimistically realistic. Right. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to shut that idea down for anyone because I've had a positive experience. Um, and so, and even if I didn't have such a great experience, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, no, don't do it. It's terrible. I think every piece of advice is nuanced to the individual. So, you know, like I'll ask the questions that I would, I would, I would consider, or I would want somebody to advise me to consider if, if I were moving abroad anywhere. And those questions are, you know, very realistic, practical. Do you have work or does your spouse have a job and an income where, you know, um, you could see yourselves living life there. And I would share information that's relevant to that. Like life in Ethiopia is not cheap. Like contrary to what you might think, um, Mm -hmm. housing is extremely expensive in Addis Ababa. Schooling, if you have children, is very expensive depending on the kind of school you want to send them to. And so just questions like that to get the juices flowing. And and, uh, But like remaining up, like, yes, there are pediatricians. We have a great one. Like, yes, there are grocery stores. And while you can't find all the produce and things you're used to in the states and there's certainly no microwavable like frozen foods like you still will you know you'll get your fair share of um really great fresh local locally farmed produce and so it's just i yeah i think it's you need to be very careful in the way that you share um advice with folks because uh your story is yours and and their story is going to be theirs so how do you share that in a nuanced way Oh my gosh, that's like super great advice. <laughs> that's like, no, I mean, I, not that I think it was going to be bad advice. I know the way I said that was funny, but that was, that was really helpful. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> like, it's like, how do you respond to so saying, wait, that was helpful. <laughs> no, it sounded worse. It sounded worse than my intention. What I was trying to smoothly say was, that's really important advice for everyone to listen to. <laughs> so you don't end up like thinking that it's, you know, the Christmas holiday when you went and like everybody's right. club and it's packed and having a great time and like all these cookouts and the weather's great. Like, the weather sucks in the, in the winter time. <laughs> you know, rainy season in Ethiopia. Like you should probably know that, you know, things like that. And this is why I think that your site's going to have longevity <laughs> because, because I no, a truly, I think being, being part of a black family, raising black kids and the fact that you're doing it in Ethiopia and you're being real, like I, I honestly, like I always say, you've got the folks who do the splash, right? And then you just need everybody else. Like I do like tell you how to buy insurance. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> It's not a sexy topic, but you know we all need it. So, so I, you know, you don't come to me for the for the like. It's I mean, yeah, I can inspire you, but when we're done and in being inspired, you need to know how to pay your bills in that like local currency. Kind of critical, you know, yes. vital and unsexy. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, Marty, with that being said, where can where can folks find you? Um, obviously, we will have the link to your blog in our show notes and on the website. But is there anywhere else we can find the Black Expat family or find you? 
Um, yeah. So I have uh, an Instagram account. It's uh, Black Expat Family. So no, the in the Instagram account. Um, and then uh, we have TikTok, but you know, I'm 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 not of the TikTok era, so right. That's he's <laughs> that sparingly. And then I have good old email. Um, so I'm accessible via email, Marty at the Black Expat Family. Um, so any of those should do. I'm pretty responsive. Um, You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com.